Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. If Saul had just done this, you guys, if he had just heeded the word of God, everything would have been sweet. Samuel, right up in the beginning, says, this is what you need to do. Heed the word of the Lord. And I just would say that to every one of us. Every one of us needs to be in a, a position of our hearts where our hearts are yielded to the word of the Lord. We can't just be hearing the word of God. We got to be yielded to the word of God. We have to heed what God's word tells us. Without a doubt, our inherent stubbornness exists in all of us. We never fail to follow our own instincts and make the decisions we want to, even when we receive advice from others. Even as Christians, we frequently hear the Word of God, but hardly apply it to our own lives. Pastor Bill explains in today's message how you can begin to hear God's will rather than your own. The path that you pick will always result in disaster, but the way that God has prepared for you is the ideal one and will bring you to eternal life. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, as he begins his message, Kill or Be Killed. We're going to be continuing in 1 Samuel. So if you guys would open up to 1 Samuel. And we, uh, I left a little chunk off, so I'm going to clean that up real quick. And then, uh, but we're going to be covering chapter 15. So 1 Samuel, chapter 15. The whole book is good, but it's, uh, it's some good things here. So uh, some lessons to be learned for sure. If anybody here or watching is struggling with your flesh, you need this study. So uh, it's going to help us out. So spank us. But God always spanks us to help us. Amen. Amen. So um, that's just what we're dealing with. That's where we're at. And so 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let me pray. And then um, I'm going to go backwards a little bit. If you guys remember, we were in chapter 14 and I stopped at verse 46. So I want to finish the last little chunk, 47 through the end of the chapter. Uh, get a little bit of information on what was happening with Saul. And then we'll jump into the meat of our message. All right. So. Um, for you guys that remember, we're, we're going through 1 Samuel. We're looking at the, really looking at the life of King Saul. Saul was raised up as a king because Israel, pretty much they didn't want to be under God anymore. They wanted a king like everybody else. Um, Saul has been a letdown from the gate. And every chapter, it just gets a little bit worse, doesn't it? Uh, every chapter, you know, just he just does some real sucker stuff. You know, to, to me, to take credit for your own son's battle was like, man, that's just weak. And then, um, you know, he made the rash vow. So even after his son, Jonathan went out and, and got a great victory because he was venturing out in faith. Saul ended up the day, you know, threatening everybody not to eat any food and, um, almost killed his own son was going, was going to keep his vow to the end result that it would kill his own son, but he wouldn't go out and do the thing God told him to do. He wasn't willing to go out and kick up dust as far as the battle goes. So that was how we ended up. So we're going to pick up today at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 14, verse 47. I'm going to just read through real quick. This last little section here lays out some of the military victories that Saul had, some of the stuff he began to do uh, the right way. And uh, we see one thing that is a fulfillment of what God had spoken through the prophet, through Samuel. Samuel had told them when they asked for a king that if you ask for a king, um, he told them what the behavior of the king would be and how he was going to uh, take their sons and appoint them for his own self. And we'll see that 
So let's look at uh, 14. I'm going to start. I'm going to read verse 47 all the way through. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the king of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jeshuai, and Malchusia. Y'all got it. And the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the youngest was Michal. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, and the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now there was a fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong and valiant, any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. That was a part where, you know, he had told them, hey, he's going to take your sons. Anytime Saul saw somebody valiant, he's, oh, give me him. Give me him. Give me him. Give me him. He would just take him and, and put him in his army. And I, I wonder if it's because he wasn't valiant. You know, he was like, you know, man, I, I'm going to grab all your sons that look tough. They're going to be with me. So. I titled the message from chapter 15, Kill or Be Killed. I'm guessing that most of us have never been in a kill. Hopefully, I hope you haven't been in a kill or be killed situation. I hope you haven't. If you have, God, God bless you. You're still here, so I know what you did. Uh, but, you know, most of us have not been, you know, maybe haven't been in a kill or be killed. But that's a pretty intense thing, right? If you're in, as a kill or be killed means if I don't kill you, you're going to kill me. So our law enforcement, they get in positions like that. Maybe in the military, uh, you could be in a position. Maybe if somebody broke in your home, you may be in a position like that. It's a definitive moment. I have to do something. And if I don't, you're going to do it to me. If I don't get you, you're going to do it to me first. And so that's what we're going to learn in chapter 15. We're going to see something happen with the Amalekites. I'm going to just give you this up front. So you have it in your have it in the back of your brain. The Amalekites, as we go through chapter 15, I want you to remember that they are a type. They're a type or a picture of the flesh. Just remember that as we go through it, we're going to see the Amalekites. They're going to picture for us, symbolize for us the flesh. Now, the Amalekites were actually a group of people. There was a, a real group of people called the Amalekites that were against the people of God. And God wanted to deal with them, but they are a picture for us. So I don't want us to read this and just think about the war and the battle between these two. I want us to learn some lessons about if we don't manage or deal with our flesh the way God demands, the way God commands us to. Um, the flesh is one of those things. That if you don't stomp it out, it's going to come stomp you out. And I, I was really thinking through this as I was going and thinking, man, have I ever been in a, you know, if I ever been in a killer be killed, I have not. Thank God. I've never been a killer. I have been in a beat up or get beat up situation. Uh, you know, I've been in some of those over my lifetime, you know, but, you know, as you look at this, it's intense where God is saying, look, I want you to I'm telling you what to do because I'm God and I know what's best. I know what needs to happen. And so let's jump into chapter 15. It says in chapter 15, verse one, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel, over king, over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, Heed the voice of the words of the Lord. If Saul had just done this, you guys, if he had just heeded the word of God, everything would have been sweet. Samuel right up in the beginning says, this is what you need to do. Heed the word of the Lord. And I just would say that to every one of us. Every one of us needs to be in a, a position of our hearts where our hearts are yielded to 
the word of the Lord. We can't just be hearing the word of God. We got to be yielded to the word of God. We have to heed what God's word tells us. And so Samuel opens with that. Then verse two, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what it did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came from Egypt. Now, it's interesting. This happened years earlier, right, where Israel was coming out of Egypt and Amalek chased them from behind and hit some of the weak, some of the stragglers. And God said, I remember that. I remember that they did that. The, God's got a good track record. And God's like, I remember that they did that to my people. Those are my people. Them people are long gone now. But God is like, no, nah, they're going to pay for that. Those are when you attack. This is how God sees it from Old Testament. When you attack my people that belong to me, that, are, that I cherish and that I love, you've attacked me. You become my enemy. Uh, we, that's important for us to know because uh, some people look at the God of the Old Testament when he orders the annihilation of a group. They're like, that God of the Old Testament is something else. That, and he's just wiping people out, killing people, going ham on. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, you guys. Not, it's no different. There's mercy in the Old Testament. There's judgment in the Old Testament. There's mercy in the New Testament, and there's judgment in the New. Go read Revelation. We, we, we studied through the whole book. God's wrath on those that oppose him and his people, it's no joke. God's love and mercy and grace for those that bow at his feet, are, it's amazing. It's amazing who God will forgive. It's amazing who God will let off the hook if they come to him. And so he says, look, I'm going to punish Amalek for what they did to Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. Verse three. Now go. This is the command of the Lord. This is a command. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So God said, I, want, I don't want anything left. Of, I want them wiped out. Man, woman, nursing child. Some people look at that and think, that, that's so terrible. Ah. This is what you got to know about God, right? Does God know the beginning from the end? He knows who would believe and who wasn't. He, knew, he knows what those nursing kids are going to grow up to be, what they're going to believe, what they're going to do when they grow up. God said, look, I'm, I'm wiping out everybody. There's nothing salvageable here. If God says it's not salvageable, it's not. God said, I don't, I don't even want they stinky animals. Kill all the animals. Kill everything that they, wipe it all out. Kill it all, destroy it all, utterly destroy. Ox, sheep, camel, donkey, wipe everything out. I want nothing left from Amalek. It would also be a lesson to anybody else, Right. That those that would oppose God and his people, God, look, look what I did. I wiped them all out. That was supposed to, that was supposed to happen. So this is the, the instruction that God gave to Saul. And we're going to see that he doesn't completely obey it. I, I remember years ago hearing Pastor Chuck explain this. It was, you know, answering, you know, well, why would God call for the annihilation of, of the whole people? You know, like, and this is the issue. When you look at some of the, the enemy nations uh, that were opposing the people of God, they meant God harm. They meant God's people harm. And so God would say, wipe them out that they wouldn't damage my people, that they wouldn't be a hindrance, spiritually or otherwise. When the enemies weren't wiped out, they always did hinder God's people continually. Um, and so the analogy was given was of a dog with rabies. A dog with rabies is already going to die. But if you don't kill it, anybody that it affects on the way, it's, it's going to spread. It's infection. It'll kill everything it bites is going to get killed. So a, a dog with rabies, you got to kill it. When I was a little kid, I used to rent this movie from the video store called Old Yeller. Anybody know about Old Yeller? I was an animal kid, so I any, any movie with animals, I was into it. So Old Yeller, I would rent that. I, I've probably seen it a hundred times. And, uh, and it, you know, this little kid gets a dog, and it's, uh, 
It looks like a lab pit mix. It's a, it's a pretty stout lab, you know? Um, and this lab is chasing bears. This is, you know, it's just this is kid's buddy. And somewhere along the, the line, one of the brothers, he goes to hunt and the wild boar, they get it. He tries to protect the guy and he, and he gets uh, infected. And they say, well, let's make sure he doesn't have rabies. They put him in the pen for a few days. And when they went out one day, he was growling. They were like, he had all the signs of rabies. And it was, it ended up being a sad, they had to kill the dog. He had to go out and shoot him. And then they got another puppy. You know, puppies always fix the death of a dog, if y'all don't know that, that's the trick. But the idea was, even though this was a pet, it had been adored, it's, now that it has rabies, it'll never be that pet again. This won't be fixed. It's going to die like this. So put it out of its misery and make sure that it doesn't affect anybody else. And so that's essentially what God called for. Wipe everybody out. Now, Saul was the king. But whose king was Saul? He was the king. Who does Saul belong to? Supposed to be, right? He's supposed to be the Lord's king. So uh, if, the, if the Lord's like, I put you there as king, but I'm telling you what to do. So I want you to do what I tell you to do. Every one of us need to understand that because we say that Jesus is our king. Amen. And we're under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That means that what God tells us to do, we're going to do it. If we don't do what God tells us to do, then he's not really our Lord. We are. And so God tells Saul what to do. Very clear instructions, right? God didn't mince words. He said, look, utterly destroy everything and everybody wipe them all the way out. Now look at verses four through six. So Saul gathered together, gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you show kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So at this point, everything looks, is looking pretty good, right? Saul's, he got the right people with him. He got the army in tow. He's at the battle line that he's supposed to be at. He even tells the allies, hey, guys, get out of here. I'm going to whip them real good. I don't want y'all to, to get this when I go in there. So... He's positioned, he's in the right place, got the right people, moving in the right direction, and everything looks like he's getting ready to do what God says do, but, but verses seven through nine. And so verse seven says, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Should you take the king alive if you utterly destroying everybody? The king of all people, you should you whooped him up, right? That's who you was going to get, you know? So he kept the king alive. I don't understand that at all. Um, and then verse nine, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and note this, circle the word. They were unwilling. They were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. So Saul gets in position to do the right thing. He takes the right people with him. He, he takes all the right precautions and then he goes and does the wrong thing. I, this is like a, a believer that, you know, just, you take, you position yourself the right way. I'm, I even I go to church, got a Bible. I got a Christian friend, but you, then you just go off the rails somewhere and just do your own thing. Somewhere along the way here, Saul decided, 
I'm not gonna kill Agag. We don't know why, we're not told. You know, we don't know, it's the thing. We're not told exactly why Saul did this. Later on, he's gonna make some excuses and blame people. But we don't really know why he did this. And this is what you need to know. It'll never matter why you disobey God. All that matters is that you disobeyed him. Doesn't matter why, right? It's not like you're gonna give God a reason. God's like, oh, you know what, man, I, I hadn't thought about that, man. Now, now that you said it that way, I, I understand. You know, if you disobey God, why you did it is irrelevant. The fact that you did it is the problem. You didn't do what God said do. So he kept back Agag and they were unwilling. So when they got there and they saw that they were good animals and, you know, healthy oxen, they were like, I don't want to slaughter all those. That's money. You know, in this culture, animals were money. If you guys remember when it said that Job was the richest man in the land of us and it, it quantified his wealth by his camels, his cattle, his oxen, his sheep, so forth and so on. So when they went in there, be like, man, I don't want to, you know, if we went to war with, you know, God called us to go, go to war with, you know, some neighboring Hawthorne and wipe everybody out. God's a kill, you know, just blow up every vehicle. And you got to, it was like, that's a bench. That's a, that's a jag. That's a, wow, man, we, we keep a couple of these cars. Lord, we, we take people to church in them. You know, like, you know, that essentially they got there and, and maybe their eyes got big, but they just decided, ah, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to destroy all of them. So they didn't. They didn't. They, didn't, they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But check this out. Everything despised and worthless. So all the buckets, you blew them up. No problem. All the beaters, you blew them up, no problem. But the nice stuff, you were like, man, we got to, I don't know if the Lord knew what he was doing or what he was saying. So they kept back those things. Let me throw this out there. So what's the problem with this, right? Because God's going to, it's going to be a big deal to God. What do you guys think? What's the big deal that they didn't kill all the animals and they kept back the king? Anybody? Okay, self-serving. Um, anybody else? What, what's the big deal that they didn't do it exactly the way God said and here's the thing. Partial obedience is disobedience. So if you do most of what God says, do you didn't do what God said? Do you know partial obedience is disobedience. That's how God will always see it. And this is the thing. God has all wisdom, all knowledge. We have a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of knowledge, hopefully. And so if God says do it like this, I don't need to understand God. And there'll be many times where God calls for us to do things that we don't understand. God don't understand why, but we yield to him. That's why he's God. He's the Lord. Uh, he says that Isaiah uh, 55 verse eight and nine, God said, look, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. So the heavens are higher from the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we're not on the same level with the Lord. We don't see things the way he does. We don't understand everything that he does. We don't have to, but we need to obey him because by faith, we know that God knows best. Amen. And so Saul did not obey the Lord here and everything is going to kind of crumble from this point right here. So look at verse 10 and 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me. And has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So God is, is uh, talking to Samuel. He's letting Samuel know, man, I, I'm, I'm about done with this Saul character. Man, this dude is not doing what I told him to do. And I want you to note, Samuel, he prayed, he interceded all night for Saul. And that, that to me, that spoke to me so loud. How many of us intercede for those that are getting on our nerves? Samuel's bummed out at what Saul's doing, too. 
He's bummed out that Saul just won't do. Just do what God said. Do, brother, you know, and he won't do it. He's making things bad for Israel. That's bumming Samuel out. And Samuel said he prayed all night. That is the most loving thing you can do for someone that's getting on your nerves, someone that's making life difficult for you, someone that I don't think that Saul is seen as an adversary or an enemy, but he's not helping things out. And Samuel prayed for him all night. And I just want to encourage us, right, that we would be we'd be more willing to spend some time interceding for praying for those that we see failing, those that we see not getting it right. Easy to talk about people, easy to to come at people. But uh, what Samuel does here just shows just shows how much his heart was with the Lord on this. And he just interceded for him all night. That's the best he could have done for Saul. There's nothing more that Samuel could have done. But what he did do was pray for him. And so remember that sometimes as you as you take time to pray for people, there isn't anything more you could do. Prayer is the most you could be doing for them. It's not the least you could do. Many times prayer is the most you could be doing for somebody else. So Samuel prayed for him all night. Moving on, look at verse 12 and 13. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, so after praying for him all night, right, he got up to meet him and it was told Samuel saying Saul went to Carmel and get this. And indeed, he set up a monument for himself and he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. First of all, I want you to get this right. Saul didn't do everything God said do, but whatever little victory he did have, he got down the hill and said, I need a monument to myself. I want a monument. Y'all need to remember who I am up in here. And he made a monument to himself. Now, if you do it right, if the kings of Israel were doing it right, they were to be doing things for the glory of God. It wasn't really about them. It was a privileged position to be in. But I want you to note there's something flawed and broken that we're going to see as we go through the rest of the chapter with Saul. Saul was about himself, right? He didn't take a time to worship the Lord for the victory. He didn't even do everything God told him to do in the first place. But as soon as he got done, he says, man, I need people to recognize me. I need a monument. I need a monument to me so that people can remember that I'm an important dude. I'm a big guy. I'm a big deal. Beware of needing people to see you as something and not being concerned for what God sees. Because this is what's broken in Saul right here. Saul is very concerned for what, how the people are going to see him. The rest of the chapter, he's going to be very concerned for how he looks to the people. But he has not been concerned with how, how you look to the Lord. The Lord saw that you didn't obey him. The Lord saw that you didn't kill all the animals. The Lord saw you held back Agag. And you're not concerned about that. However, you are concerned that people would see you in a certain way. It is one of these snares and these traps in this life is to be overly concerned with what people think about you to care too much, to give too much credit to. This one thing, you know, my dad and my, my parents weren't married. I only spent the weekends with my dad. But if I can say that there was something my dad instilled in me as a kid, my dad instilled in me, and I think all of us are my siblings as well, but I was, I was always comfortable being me. Uh, my dad would tell me, he's like, you, you don't got to be the best at everything, bro. You, you're not going to because you're not going to be the best. At everything. But uh, he would he would say, like, but, but you could be the best Bill Buffington. You know, what I mean, like you, you could be the best you that you can be. I was always very comfortable with who I was. If I wasn't the best at I wasn't the best at football, 
but I had fun playing football where I played it at, at my level, you know, where I, I would see other kids, they would cry if they didn't get the spot or if they didn't, it was like, it was never that big a deal to me. I've always appreciated, uh, however he instilled those things, I know I've always been okay with just being me, who I am. So glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're currently in the book of 1 Samuel. Many of the childhood Bible stories stem from this book. David is a main character, and he came from humble means. He was a simple shepherd boy, but God had great things in mind for him. He was a musician also, and this served him well as he was able to help King Saul. But more than these occupational type of skills, David had a heart for God like no other. God refers to David as a man after his own heart. What a compliment coming from the very creator of everything. This doesn't mean that David was perfect. As we all know, he wasn't. But his heart was continually coming back to God, seeking help, asking for refuge, and coming back with a repentant heart. This is the type of heart God wants from each of us. Do you find yourself looking up to David and his character? If you'd like to learn more about David and 1 Samuel, feel free to listen to more teachings from this series on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this eventful book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today. And Pastor Bill will be back with more in the coming edition of 1 Samuel. Until then, keep your head in the Word and your heart close to God. Then, make sure to come back for another insightful edition of A Transforming Word.